Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site. Anyway, go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Okay, so this person opens a coffee shop and everybody loves the coffee, man. Everybody's loving the coffee. Every person that tastes it like, this is the best cup of coffee I ever had. And they tell their mom and their grandma and their brother and their sister and Uncle Tim and Ronald Duck, uh, whoever, (laughs) Ronald Duck, that was Ronald Reagan and Donald Duck mixed together. They told them about the coffee and they were like, this coffee, you gotta go try it. And so people are passing on the word. This person tells that person, that person tells this person. Everybody's crazy because the coffee is so good. And then they go, you know, 10 years later, they're turning a crazy profit and they go down in the history books of coffee, right? Wrong. They close up shop a year after they open. Why? Because they had the coffee, but they didn't put the time and energy necessary into the marketing. Yes, the foundation of your creative career is the essence of your work. We talked about that in part one of this series. We talked about the magic. What do you want to do? What's the value of your creativity? What, what do you want to do in your audience? If you get that right, if you have that creative essence that's just great work, your stuff will spread. But the problem is if it doesn't spread fast enough, you're not going to keep 
be able to keep the lights on. You don't have the budget to stay open for 10 years before turning a profit. Even if we're not, even if you're doing this in your side time, even if it's not about money, it's about keeping the momentum and you only have so much in your reserves. You can only put that little investment, you know, in the morning before work, in the wee hours of the eve, uh, on the weekends. You can only do that for so long before you're running on empty. If your stuff isn't catching on at the rate that you think it needs to be, this episode is for you. This is the nine marketing tactics to gain the true fans you need to truly thrive right now. Let's jump into it right away, shall we? Number one, we're coming at you. Number one, get the right cup. The cup matters as much as the coffee. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and there's something off? There's something about the carpet. There's something, you see something out the kitchen. Just There's something weird on the countertop. There was something in your chair. Whatever it is, there's some weird little thing and it puts you off and it doesn't matter how good the meal tastes, you can't enjoy the food, right? Now, we think it's all about the coffee because we're artists. We get the essence, the depth, what, what it's really all about on a deep level, the why. But the what and the how you serve that thing matters to your customers. It's the first thing that they see. And you've got to get it right. You've got to take it seriously. You've got to put as much creativity into the essence as you do into the veneer. Because if you try to serve high-end coffee out of a dirty Dixie cup, we're not buying it. It's just, there's something, it just doesn't feel right. It, there's something off. We can't suspend our disbelief. We can't jump in and consume it with enthusiasm if we're worried about, what's this goo on the outside of my cup? And so you got to think about what, how do you package your ideas? You've heard the, the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. But you know what? I think we should change that to remember people judge a book by its cover. And so you, if you know that, you can do incredible depth. You can have this amazing essence in the deep cuts of the chapters of your book. But don't forget to put just as much creativity into the title of the book. You might not know this, but when it comes to book design, people look at the title of the book, then they look at the cover art, then they look at the tagline. And if the tagline, and if all those things keep hooking them, they'll go to the back of the book. And the back of the book is designed to get you to read the first line of the book. And if you get someone, a reader, if you, if you, if you hook them on the title, you hook them on the cover, you hook them on the tagline, hook them on the back of the book, hook them on that first line, you got a reader of your book. They're in. They're going to buy it, right? And so if you know that, you can make your book as deep and powerful and get into the nitty-gritty of making your thing as, as incredible as possible from start to finish. But don't ignore the cup. You know, for me, I have this project I talk about from time to time on the show. It's really the the... It's, it's what my illustration is really all about. It's called Invisible Things. Uh, now, Invisible Things, I came up with that phrase probably five or six years ago, 
And uh, but I didn't call my world that I was building with all these different creatures. I didn't title the world Invisible Things. But that that didn't happen until about mm, I think a, about a year ago. And so here's the thing about that: when I titled it Invisible Things and I arranged these characters in a grid and I put it on Twitter, it got sixty thousand likes and twenty five thousand retweets. And the weird thing about that is that they were the same characters and the same ideas that have been in my work for at least, I don't know, eight years, but they'd never caught on. And the crazy thing about it is it was the same coffee, different cup. It was, it was presented in a way that resonated. It was presented in a way where there was clarity. What are the ideas that you are crazy about in your work that don't seem to be resonating with your audience? It might not be a problem with the coffee. It might be a problem with the cup. I looked back on my Instagram uh, and, and actually even in my Flickr account and all that kind of stuff a few weeks ago, went diving deep back into like a like 10 years ago, as far back as then. And I looked at just uh, what were the things that I still liked? What were the things that still rung true for me? And the weird thing was this. There was a bunch of stuff back then that I was super excited about that nobody seemed to really care about. Nobody, it didn't really catch on. And I was kind of discouraged. And I think I let go of some of that stuff. There was some weird, quirky humor and strangeness that felt very uniquely me. But because it never went viral or because no one really cared about it, uh, I just kind of moved on from that stuff. And what I realize now is that I didn't have the audience. I didn't have anybody looking at my work. There wasn't any problem with the coffee. I just didn't have the cup. I hadn't put in, I hadn't had the personal brand. I didn't have a shop. I wasn't, you know, inviting influencers into my coffee shop. I hadn't gone through that process. And so look back in your work. You know, there's a new Vampire Weekend album out and they repurpose an old lyric. It's, I don't want to live like this, but I don't want to die. It's from a previous song. And sometimes I wonder if Ezra, he, the, the lead singer, if he had that line and he felt like, you know what, this is such a good line and it means so much to me. I'm going to put it in two of my songs. It's not getting enough play. I didn't emphasize it the right way. I didn't have it in the right cup. With the first time round, it kind of got buried in the general vibe of that song or whatever. And now I'm going to repurpose that in a new way and let that line shine for the power that it has. And so maybe you need to go back through your work. See which of these things did you put the wrong book cover on? Did you title it wrong? You know, one of the things I've realized on this podcast is one of the biggest game changers in terms of listening uh, you know, listens per episode is the headline. Did I have the right headline for the episode? It's as important as what's in the episode. And I've been spending more and more and more time to craft the perfect title that speaks to the power within the episode. And so maybe you need to go back and see what were the things that you were crazy about, but you put the wrong cover to. You had the wrong tagline. You didn't explain it right. You put it in a dirty Dixie cup. You know, back in the day, I had a blog. It was called Art Directions. Not a, gr not a great name. It's okay. Uh, but I created a section at some point on the sidebar of this blog. And I was coming up with a name. It was going to be these interviews. It was supposed to be exciting. And I... this. 
name popped in my head, Creative Pep Talk. And the instant, instant that I came up with that name, I knew that, that's a thing. Art Directions, yeah, that seems like okay, I guess. But Creative Pep Talk, that's the kind of name where there's power to it. And on the back of that name, I sold a book to Chronicle Books, and I created this podcast, and I believe that a big part of why this podcast has gone on to what it has become is because of that name. The name matters whether we like it or not. You can't put an espresso in a giant cappuccino mug. It just feels wrong. So you've got to find what is the what are the words, what are the names, what are the uh, adjectives that I use to describe this thing, how do I display it on my portfolio, all of those things matter. And so I would even argue, look for power words. Look for words that give you emotional resonance. When you say them, you feel something. You know, right now, there's this term neurodiversity. I've seen it floating around from time to time. The first time I ever heard, I ever heard anybody say non-neurotypical, it kind of made my heart flutter because it made me feel seen. It was a word I'd never heard. It, it, it gave name to something that I'd felt but never could hold. I never had a cup for those feelings because I have ADHD. And I'd always, and I've been the weirdo my whole life. I've been the Gonzo, the Wembley, the Ernie. These are all the Muppets that I identify with. And they're never number one. It's never about Wembley. It's always about Gobo. It's never about Gonzo. It's always about Kermit, right? And that, I always felt like a, a side character because of that. I always felt like the weirdo. And when I heard the phrase non neurotypical and supporting neurodiversity, There was power in that word, in that terminology, in that cup. It held so much for me. It was this new, beautiful cup that just came straight out of the kiln, baby. Use those words. Find those words. Words matter. Maybe the reason your thing isn't working isn't that your coffee's burnt, isn't that your people don't like your coffee. You're just serving it in a dirty Dixie cup. So find the right cup. Remember, people judge a book by its cover, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing if you don't forget it. Number two, you got to get that storefront up and running You know, it's not just about the cup. They don't even get to see the cup if they don't go into the store. So you've got to have a store that's inviting, that people want to engage with. This is your personal brand. Look, if you want to make a living, if any of your living comes from working online, you can't ignore the fact that people want to work with people. People want to know who you are. They want an idea. If I go onto someone's Instagram and there is no photos of them, it's very difficult for me to feel like this is a person. Often if I go onto an Instagram and I don't see any photos of this person, I assume this is some kind of corporate entity. Maybe this is a collect this is like a blog Instagram where they're collecting a bunch of other people's stuff. Like I think, you know, I said this a while back on the podcast and it really seemed to hit a nerve with a lot of people. You know, if you feel like you can just, uh, that the internet means that you get to create your little fort and just slide drawings or songs or whatever under the fort, you know, and nobody ever sees you, like that's not the way the internet works. Like 
I'm sorry to burst your bubble, all you creative introverts that thought that the internet was going to be your solution so you never had to see people again. Wrong. I don't think it works like that. I think if you look at the people that are the most successful in any of these creative industries, you're going to see someone with a strong personal brand. Now, there are some exceptions to that, but I would say the, uh, those are the exceptions, not the rule. The truth is there are infinite seas of more talented people, people with better coffee that are way less successful than the people with the incredible storefront that's inviting that gets people in the shop tasting the coffee, right? So you can't ignore it. Uh, I'm reading this book called Alter Ego, the, the Alter Ego Effect by Todd Herman. And one of the things that I find really, really powerful about this book, early on in the book, he kind of addresses this idea of like, is an alter ego being fake? If you're, he, he has this thing where like top performers create, have like throughout history created these alter egos to get their best self to show up on game day and perform and get rid of all of the anxiety and all the second guessing and all the things that we don't want to show up. And he has this amazing idea that addresses that, is it fake to show up as an alter ego? And he says, if you think about Superman and Clark Kent, which is the alter ego? Clark Kent. Clark Kent is the one that is not Superman's true self. And so for you, if you can show up with your personal brand, if you can bring the best of you, that is your true self. It, the true self is not the thing where all of, your, uh, all of your baggage is trying to hold you back, your fear and anxiety and depression and, and uh, self-loathing and second-guessing and insecurities and self-consciousness. All of that stuff is the stuff trying to hold your true self back. And so when you think about personal brand, don't think about putting on something that isn't you. Don't think about it as putting on a mask. Think about it as a sculpture, you know, that giant hunk of marble carving away all of the things that aren't you, all the things that are trying to trap you, cutting those away and revealing the best of yourself. And not only that, here's the other thing that I've noticed. The internet doesn't do that well with subtlety. Like it's hard for you. You need to think about the signifiers. You need to think about the internet is a bitty Busy, I just put these words together, busy city, bitty. It's a busy city street. And if you're going to get their attention, you need to be, you need to create signifiers that tell people who you are with just one photo. You need to turn up that alter ego, turn up your best self to 11 so that you can communicate the things that they need to know about who you are. Why? Because People that follow you, your true fans, use you as a proxy for who they are. People that they're following, if you go and you, if you go, if you want to understand somebody, what they value, what they think, go check out who they're following. Go look at the top accounts, the accounts that you know of the people they follow. That says who they are. It's a proxy for their own identity. And if you're not clear about who you are, they're going to feel pretty wishy-washy about allowing you to represent who they are. So you got to be clear. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be revealing. 
if you have this thing where you actually uh, really value your privacy. You really value mystery. You know, the coffee that you're making, you want there to be some creative magic that you're communicating. Even that, you've got to communicate it. I like this idea of a speakeasy where, uh, you know, in New York City, I was hanging out with uh, my buddy Tad Carpenter and the guys from DKNG, and they did some research, and they found this speakeasy in New York City, and you're walking along, and it looks like a photo store, like a Kodak store, and the lights are off, and there's nothing going on, but if you try the door, it's open. And you go down there, and there's this secret entrance. There's like a bouncer in the back of the photo store. And if you walk through there, there's this amazing jazz cocktail club. And so that might be your vibe. That might be something that communicates your value, the mystery. You know, there's Sia. She has that uh, wig where she's hiding behind. She doesn't show her face. Or the, uh, the guy Burial, the music maker from London or from England, if I just made London and England synonymous, uh, I highly apologize. Uh, that's very offensive, but I do think he's actually from London, but I could be wrong about that. Don't hurt me. But he's someone who has made anonymity part of his personal brand, but he did it with intention. He didn't ignore his storefront. Being uh, anonymous wasn't a random byproduct. It was something he did on purpose. It communicated something about him. So whether you want to show it all or whether you want to keep it on lock, remember it is very important. If they're ever going to taste that beautiful coffee, you've got to get them through the door. And you do so by being super intentional about personal brand. Number three, you've got to collaborate. So a lot of people say branding is purely association. It's what are the words you associate with that brand? What are the things? What are the what are the values? What are what, what makes it? What does it make you feel like? Who do you think of when you think of that brand? Everything that you associate with that brand name or with that person, that is their brand. And so how do you get people through the door? You get them associating you with things that they already trust. You know, there's this uh, pizza place in Columbus, Ohio, uh, where I live, and it's my favorite pizza. It's so good. It's called Mikey's Late Night Slice. Man, uh, I'm salivating just thinking about this. But one of the things they do, and one of the reasons we got into it, was because they they do these uh, collaborations with other local Restaurants, they'll do this hot chicken takeover pizza where they're par partnering with this brand in my city called Hot Chicken Takeover, Hot Nashville Chicken Pizza. They put the pickles on top after it's cooked and it's mwah, delicious with the homemade ranch dressing. Anyway, it's <laughs> so tasty. And they do that with the local barbecue place and they do all these crazy collaborations. And the thing that happens is it gets all these people associating their brand with brands that they already trust. And you get that overlap and that synergy of a true collaboration. Now, I think this is more important than ever because if you go into the world of marketing, they're telling you that nothing works better than influencer marketing. What is influencer marketing? It's saying, take somebody that's got a lot of trust for their audience where you have perfect alignment with them. You know, you don't want uh, that. That's incredibly important. You know, there was this story floating around Twitter recently, like this influencer had 4 million followers, but only 
you know, created this t-shirt brand and could only sell 16 t-shirts. And the problem there is there's no engagement. There's no trust with the audience. If you're going to make a collaboration work and actually be powerful for you, you've got to find that perfect alignment where there's real trust, where if they like, if their audience likes their work, they'll like your work too. And so I built my career on collaboration. You know, I had a zine that I made with a partner. I had this uh, uh, art show that we toured. I've done a bunch of really intentional collaborations. It's one of the most powerful marketing techniques. If you are not collaborating in major ways, if you are not making these brand associations with people that uh, already have trust in an audience, I don't think you will be able to gain the momentum at the speed you need it to, to succeed. So here's the way I think about it. You know, don't think about it like a ladder where you're getting ahead, stepping on each rung, AKA stepping on people to your way to success. You don't have to collaborate with your heroes. I encourage you to do this tactic. I call it 10 to 100. The 10 to 100 collaboration plan for creative career success, guaranteed. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But here's the idea for the 10 to 100. It's 10 collaborations to 100,000 followers on Instagram. So let's say you have 2,000 followers on Instagram and you do a big collaboration, a significant collaboration, you know, over the next quarter of the year with someone else that has perfect alignment someone that you fit together with really well. They don't have to be the same. They have to be complementary. Someone who has 2,000 followers as well. So if you have 2,000, they have 2,000. You do this big collaboration and 50% of your audience follows them and 50% of their audience follows you. Now you've got 3,000. Both of you have 3,000 followers now. If you do that with someone else that has 3,000, now you've got 4.5,000. Do that again, you got 6.75. Do that again, you got 10, then 15, then 22.5, then 33.75, then 50, then 75, then 100. In 10 collaborations, you've got 100,000 followers if you just do big collaborations with someone who has the exact same number of followers as you. Now, we neglect this. We always look to, if we've got 2,000 followers, we're always trying to do a big collaboration with someone with 100,000 followers, but that's short-sighted. That's also a shortcut. This way, you actually get that true engagement, perfect alignment, both helping each other, and a rising tide raises all ships. And so this collaboration is good for you and for them. And you want that equal value. If it's really just you hiring somebody for free for your marketing, that's abuse. That's taking advantage. That's not valuing their true potential. But if you do something where the value is mutual, That's a true collaboration. So sit around, take some time to really take this seriously. What would a a really deep collaboration be? And who would be the best fit? I'm sure even someone comes to mind right now. If you're in music, maybe you want to record each other's songs. You record two of their songs, they record two of yours, and you do this split EP and put it on Spotify and Apple Music. Maybe you're an illustrator. Maybe you want to work with somebody with complementary skills. Maybe you're a letterer and you want to work with an illustrator who, and you guys can create a, a, a series together of motivational, inspirational uh, posters. What is it? How can you align with somebody right alongside you for maximum benefit for all? Number 
for is go deep, not wide. Listen to me. I'm getting angry at you people. Every time I talk about the thousand true fans, you heard of it. Kevin Kelly, co-founder of Wired, he came up with his idea. If you get 1,000 true fans, it'll spend only 100 bucks on your art a year. You'll have $100,000, and that's a great foundation for a lifelong salary, right? And everybody hears that, and they're like, that sounds so nice, and it makes me warm and fuzzy because it seems possible. And then we go right back to trying to be the Beatles, right? Stop doing it. I... <laughs> I'm getting angry now. Here's the thing. I want you to take the idea of the 1,000 true fans deadly serious. I think that it is a dramatic shift in thought. It's a dramatic perspective shift. It is completely different to the way that art was ever done. But because of the internet, because of where we're at right now, it is completely and utterly possible to have a thriving creative career with just 1,000 true fans, and that changes everything. And in fact, I would argue that it is the best way to build a thriving creative career, even if you don't stay at 1,000 true fans. But if you start with that as your focus, I believe that the people that do that are the ones that go on to have these giant cultural moments. You know, there's this thing called diffusion of innovation. You've probably heard people pay, pay leap, lip service to it. Leap service, leapfrog with it. You ever leapfrogged a diffusion of innovation? I just did. Back to the show. Here it is. Here. Uh, here's the thing. Diffusion of innovation starts with innovators, moves on to early adopters, moves on to... It's not important. I'm not here to teach you all that. But what you need to know is that everything idea that diffuses throughout a culture and permeates it and saturates it on a deep level starts not with some huge viral thing, not with some huge bang, but the ones that stick around and, and really make a difference and really have this thing, they start with a crazy small group of crazy wild fans, people that are bonkers for this thing. And yeah, it might take 30 years for the thing to permeate the culture completely so that it's a household name. But if you start by serving that really small, perfect niche audience that you know are going to have the same taste buds as you, that's where the good things start. Think about Dungeons and Dragons, right? Dungeons and Dragons, like uh, I don't know how old it is, but it's really old, like over 30 years old. And when it, was, when it first started, it was this super niche thing for these very particular weirdos that wanted to pretend until they got old. And, uh, and people, like, it was just for a small group of people. But when those people grew up and those passionate, that passionate tiny group started making movies and shows and, and, and having platforms, it spread little by little by little till now. It's nearly a mainstream thing. And that's how, that's how great things happen. I believe that it's not so much of right place and right time as it is starting with a small group of passionate fans that 
have the exact taste buds you have where you can speak directly to their needs and really get them on a deep level. And then you don't so much, it doesn't, it's not that D&D was all of a sudden in the right place in the right time, Game of Thrones came, so that, you know, all this kind of stuff. No, I believe it created that wave. It wasn't the taste taker, it was the taste maker. It's not all of a sudden, oh, that the culture's ripe for this fantasy stuff. No, it, it built up over time. It diffused throughout the culture until it was the mainstream. And so, how does this change what you do? If you're making a meal for millions of people, I've told you this before, it's a, it's, this is a theme on the podcast, what probably safe would be uh, dairy-free butter, gluten-free spaghetti that's it put it together what have you got a lot of full people that aren't excited about your dish however if you have a best friend coming over and you know exactly their favorite food not only that you know the food that you're crazy about that they're crazy about and you even have some new ideas about you know you know them so well you just as you know your own palate, you think, you know what? They love this pizza, but what if I stir in a little bit of cayenne pepper into the tomato sauce? Josh Miller, he's my brother. He doesn't listen to this podcast and he doesn't know I just stole his uh, <laughs> his pizza sauce secret and gave it to thousands of people. In your face, Josh, you should have been listening to me. You never listened to my podcast. So I'm giving away your secrets. But the truth is, if you want to make something that resonates on a deep enough level to find that diffusion of innovation, to, to really truly spread, you got to start with the mustard seed of power. You've got to start with that tiny group of crazy fans that are going to be your street team. And so how do you do that? You got to speak to their particular taste. Quit trying to make something that's radio ready. No, make something weird. That's, that's a gap in the market. That's the thing. The next thing that those, that small group of people, you know, they're just desperate for, they're, they're begging for it just in the same way you are. And don't be afraid to make stuff that people hate. It's that cliche. You've heard it a million times. If nobody hates it, nobody will love it. Don't be afraid to polarize by leading with your own particular tastes. That's how you go deep not wide. And if you do that, you'll tap into that uh, 1,000 true fans. Number five, have an offering worth $100 for your true fans. Number five's title is not catchy. I need to... (laughs) to workshop that cup, baby. But I promise the coffee's good. Just stick around. Uh, But have an offering. Have a offering worthy of the 1,000 true fans. If the 1,000 true fans is going to work for you, they have to have $100 worth of value that they could actually purchase from you. If you're only making t-shirts, they have to buy like five (laughs) t-shirts, right? Like uh, I was talking to my buddy, Chris Graham, He's a uh, audio mastering engineer. He helps me with this podcast. He has a podcast himself. He's in the other room uh, in this studio that I rent. And he said that he was doing some coaching with a musician. 
and realized th- that uh, the musician musician said that their whole orchestration as a band, their touring, where they get their money is their T-shirts after the show. And then essentially their shows, their music they're putting out, these this touring, this grueling process is like an insanely labor-intensive T-shirt commercial. And the fact of the matter is, if you want the Thousand Truth fans things to work, you've actually got to give more options for supporting you. You've got to have lots of different value. You've got to have an offering worth over $100 uh, in, a, in a given year. And so you can't just do T-shirts. You've got to figure out other ways of commoditizing, commodifying, commodifying your stuff. Commodifying. Go, uh, you, you can have a Patreon. You can have a shop. You know, one of the things I found when I was uh, doing my talks is that at least in the little creative niche that I was starting at, there wasn't very much budget for talks. And so I had to go deeper on my merchandise and offset the fact that the budgets were smaller. It's not really the case anymore. But early days, I had to uh, kind of... I had to subsidize my talk budget with my merch and go super deep and, and offer plenty of different things to make it worth its while. So what other things can you do? Events, workshops, guitar lessons, online classes, solo tour with house shows. You know, if you're a, a musician, you got a big band, all this overhead, and you know your your audience can only get one show a year, how could you do one show with your big show and then another show where it's super lo-fi? You know, if you're just, uh, you know, I thought about how cool it would be to go see one of my favorite bands, lead singer, do house shows that are lo-fi and karaoke, where they literally show up with like a boombox karaoke machine and play their album without any of the vocals and just sing along to a super tiny group of people. I would pay really good money for lots of bands to uh, come play a house show like that and just play off of it. Get creative, not just with your work, but with your business. How can you get, how can you sit around and just brainstorm what are 10 different ways that I can offer value for my audience so they actually have an opportunity to spend the $100 that makes the whole 1,000 true fans thing work? Are you a super labor-intense t-shirt commercial? Have you thought about where you get your profit and how you can create a vast ecosystem of value that that, uh, that gives all kinds of opportunities uh, and options for your fans to support you? Number six, get into their skin. Do a reconnaissance mission to understand how do the early adopters find stuff? How do they? How are? They, how are you going to get on their radar? Those influential people. So I'm reading this book. I uh, just finished it. The Writer's Journey by Christopher Vogler. Talked about it a few times in the show. He talks about how there's often this thing that happens in stories where the heroes get into the skin of the enemies as a means of breaking into the castle, you know, getting past the gatekeeper by dressing up as the gatekeeper. And so you got to get into their skin. You got to think like them. You know, if you're Luke and Han, you got to get in the stormtrooper outfit. If you're, uh, you know, the the scarecrow and the lion and the tin man, you got to 
attack some of those guards at what are the Winkies? Is that what they're called? <laughs> that doesn't sound right. It's weird um, to get into the castle and save Dorothy. You got to get into their skin. You got to think like them. So start thinking, how do people in your city discover coffee? You got to find the coffee influencers. You can go get onto a social media marketing tool, something like brand24.com. This is if you actually own a coffee store. This is what I would do. Go brand24.com. It allows you to filter out hashtags by location. And so go do hashtag coffee in Columbus, Ohio. You're going to see the top posts from the people that have influence in your market on coffee. And now you can go contact them, create a campaign with them, pay them to do something, right? Same goes for music. How do people get into their skin? How do people discover new music today? It's not the same way as they discovered it 10 years ago. I would say ultimately, my musician friends have made it really clear, it's through Spotify playlists. And so who makes those playlists? Go on a reconnaissance mission, get into their skin. If you get an email address, use this trick that my buddy Kyle Sheely, public speaker, you can, you know, uh, you can go follow him on Instagram, at Kyle Sheely. He is a hilarious dude, all kinds of funny ideas. He's been on the show a few times. One of his tips that he shared on the show was when you send an email, make it an easy email to reply to because people like to reply to emails like that. So don't send them this huge email of, hey, I'm just this band. I want to get on your playlist. No. Say one question. Hey, I'm wondering, how do you find new music to put on your playlist? One question that can, people love ticking off something from their to-do list super fast. Then they're in, now if they reply, they've got a relationship with you. Now you guys are in a relationship. Now you can ask some more questions, but go figure out how do they get on these Spotify playlists? If you want to get on somebody's radar, go find who they follow. Where do they get their news? Where do they get their inspiration? Go find those outlets and target them with emails and make relationships with where those people find their stuff. You know, this is an interesting side effect uh, as you go do that. These early adopters, you know what's the cool thing about them? They like low follower count. This is the one time where the low follower count will actually work in your favor because they like to like, they like to like, they like to like to like to like things before they're cool, before they catch on. And so if you're in a situation where you're in a low follower count situation, that is your advantage to these early adopters. You've just got to get into their skin and figure out how to get on their radar. They want to find the band that hasn't been discovered that's perfect for their playlist. Number seven is siphon. Siphon off. Not all types of attention are created equal. You know, a podcast sponsorship is worth a lot more than a YouTube sponsorship, but I'm also on YouTube too. Why? First of all, I love doing it. That's always the first metric. I'm not some grimy, shysty coffee peddler who doesn't get it. I just did air quotes. I get it, okay? I'm very authentic. I, I, nobody cares about art like I care about art. Nobody cares about having fun in my work like I care about that. But beyond that, on top of that, I add strategy to it so I can do this over a lifetime. So I can also feed my children and also color pictures for a living, right? Uh, but, but here's the thing. Not all attention is created equally. 
And so, yes, podcasts, listens are worth more financially than YouTube views. However, YouTube makes it a lot easier to find new content. It's easier to get organic views on YouTube. And so I started a YouTube mainly because it sounded fun, but then secondly, because I knew that I could siphon off viewers from there and point them back to my podcast. You know, one of the things I realized about three or four years ago was that the cover of my book, aka, you know, the 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 cup that I put my creativity in, the thing that people look at almost always first is how many followers does this person have on Instagram? Like that's a huge thing. It's just a behavior of our culture, whether you like it or not. You don't have to like that people judge a book by its cover, but you should remember that they do and you should plan for it. You should strategize around it. One of the things I did a few years ago was I started to send everyone back to my Instagram and siphon off any attention I get from any outlet and always point it back to a central hub that pushes my book cover, that, that makes that cup, that coffee cup shine. And one of the things I realized was one of the places where people were siphoning off the most attention was in conferences, conference talks. If you have hundreds of people, thousands of people giving you their full attention for an hour, that is the number one time where you need to siphon off people's attention and point them back to your hub. And so it was one of the reasons why I prioritized getting into talks was I realized it was one of the biggest ways to convert true fans. And so now I'm even more intentional about it. I start with my handle at Andy J Pizza. I end with my handle. I might even put it on every slide. Some of you extreme coffee people, you know, the purists might be like, don't put your logo on the cup. Distracts from the essence of the herbs and spices and the floral uh, lightness of the brew, just, okay, fine, that's you. But I, I want people in for the long haul. So siphon them off, niche down. Where are your people? Where do they spend their time? Maybe some niche subreddit. Be the king of that and siphon them back. Make those relationships. Go deep with them. There's more than one type of value. Yes, maybe your industry super uh, values Spotify lessons, but there are a bunch of other places that you could show up and push them back to Spotify. So don't just prioritize those vanity metrics. Don't just prioritize those, uh, you know, the cover of your book. Where do people find those covers? There may not be any money in those places, but there probably is a lot of attention and exposure. And if you can be intentional of siphoning off that attention back to the places that matter, that's how you get some momentum. So siphon off attention. Number eight is overcompensate. You know, one of the things I notice all the time is I'll ask somebody uh, that's struggling. They're not getting the traction that they want. And I say, 
Well, how did people in your market find traction? And they almost always tell me an answer that's something that they absolutely cannot do for one reason or the next. And usually they're right. Usually they literally can't change that thing. Back in 2013, for me, if you would have asked me, what are, what's, the, you know, what's the biggest obstacle for your growth? I would have told you, I don't live in a major market. I even lived in a smaller market. Confusingly, I lived in Columbus, Indiana. Now I live in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, it's very weird. I think we're going to go Columbus, Georgia next. Uh, but Columbus, Indiana is an even smaller market. And I knew. I ignored it for a long time. But I knew the truth. Living in a big market like New York City, Portland, Los Angeles, Austin matters. It matters to your personal brand. It really matters to your networking. And what did I do? I knew I couldn't change it. We needed to live there at that time. We didn't have, there's a bunch of, I'm not, I'll spare you the sob story, but there was a billion reasons why we couldn't move from that place at that time. And so what did I do? I ignored it. What is the thing that the heroes in your market have done? What's the game-changing thing that you're ignoring? Here's my advice. Quit ignoring it, even if it's not something you can change, and start to overcompensate. You need to take that thing head on. You need to quit pretending like it doesn't matter because it's a thing that you can't change. You need to compensate. And for me, in 2013, I realized that, no, I cannot live in a major city. But because I don't, I actually have lower overhead and it means I have a higher budget for travel. And so I can not only compensate, but overcompensate. I can have a network in LA. I can have a network in Portland. I can have a network in Austin. I can have a network in New York City. I can actually build relationships with those people online and then build them in real life by traveling, using that extra overhead and prioritizing that budget for heading, uh, hitting that thing head on, that thing that's holding me back. And so if you know that people find their new music by listening to Spotify playlists, but you can't, you've already tried, you've attempted 50 times, you can't seem to get on one of those, what's the next best thing? What are other playlists that have a lot of followers? You know, one of the things that happens is a lot of musicians these days create playlists. Go approach them, the next rung down, then the next rung down after that. And then if you can't do any of that, then maybe you need to not just be a musician, but, but be an amazing curator of playlists. Maybe you need to go just as deep into making that coffee as you do into the curation of that coffee. Maybe you need to be a, uh, a coffee connoisseur. Maybe you need to make a blog post that support and encourage and inform people in your area about everything about coffee in their area and even encourage them to go check out other coffee shops. Maybe you need to make the best Spotify playlists on the planet and make that and shout that resource from the mountaintops because guess what? You can put your songs on those playlists too. If no one will let you be a public speaker, no one will take a chance on you, maybe you need to put on your own event. Maybe you need to do the hard work of getting sponsors and using your taste to get the other right speakers and create a budget and then make you one of those speakers that then puts you in association with their brands. You got to quit ignoring the thing that you know that's holding you back just because you can't do it. You don't have to do the exact thing, but you can over 
compensate for it. So what is it? What's the deal breaker? What's the factor? What's the pattern that all the people that you want to be like have that you don't and can't have and quit pretending, quit ignoring it and compensate for it. Number nine, key objective failures. This one is the is a doozy. It's one that uh, I keep coming back to over and over and over. First thing you got to do in your business, you got to understand what are your key objectives? What is the thing that moves the needle? The 80-20 rule, the domino of your business, a billion ways to say it. What is the thing that has the biggest impact on your career? Is it art directors saying yes? Is it being put on playlists? Is it guesting on other shows? Is it uh, guesting on other podcasts? Is it being picked up by a blog? What is it? You probably already know what it is. And you need to hunker down. You need to focus on how do I make that thing happen as much as possible. And my favorite way to do this comes from Emily Winter. She's a comedian. And uh, she had this goal when she was struggling to get 100, not blog posts, not opportunities, 100 rejections. She recounts this in great detail on the Work Life podcast with Adam Grant. I'll put it in the show notes at creativepeptalk.com slash episodes. You can check it out on this episode's show notes. Uh, but she had this plan when everything was going to crap to create 100 rejections for her articles. And she decided she was going to approach 100 different publications. Uh, she made a huge list. And she, her goal, her key objective was failures, that many failures. And it unlocked this passion. It unlocked, you know, approaching people like the New York Times who she thought they'll never, ever let me write an article for them. I'm just, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. But when her objective was to fail, she had no problem reaching out. Now, of course, she has written for the New York Times and for countless others. It was the thing that changed her career. What is it? Podcast guesting, playlists, art directors, jobs, whatever it is. Why don't we do it? We don't like rejection. But if that's the point, maybe you can get into some kind of sick, twisted mindset where you will approach all of these people. Maybe it's 100 uh, blog-like Instagrams. Make a big list of them. They don't even have to be good fits. They can be terrible fits. They can be way out of your reach. Try it. I've heard people doing this with jobs, trying to get jobs, and they put this huge list together, and they only get 13 in because the 13th one that was completely out of reach gave them a chance, and it completely changed their life. If you have never hustled like this, if you've never just gone through this kind of sprint-like approach to marketing, I highly suggest it. My whole career is based on sprints like this. I kid you not. I'm not kidding. Was I kidding? Do you think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. I Early on in my career, it was blogs. Then it was art directors. Then it was guesting on podcasts. Yes, it's not always comfortable, but if your goal is rejection, I know you can get rejection after rejection after rejection. I know that for a fact, no matter who you are, where you are, how you're doing, what you're doing, you can do the door-to-door 100 rejection list. Find that key objective. What's the thing that would change everything if you got five of them? Make a list of 100 of them and then just shoot for those rejections, baby. 
All right, I'm gonna do a little recap of the nine marketing tactics to gain the true fans you need to truly thrive right now, not tomorrow, today. That's what, (laughs) let's, listen, I'm gonna recap these nine things and I want you to do one of them. Don't just listen to them and feel the fuzzies and be like, 1,000 true fans, isn't that nice? It's completely doable. We'll do it then. Okay, number one, write cup. Don't forget people book judge a book, book by the judging cover. People judge a book by its cover. You know that, so you can strategize for that. You can have the most brilliant book inside. You can make the most important stuff the most important stuff, but don't forget to write the right headline. To Maybe you need to rebrand some past stuff tap into those power words that give you emotional resonance. Number two, personal brand storefront. You got to have a storefront that people want to engage with. That's that alter ego. You know, Clark Kent is the alter ego. All those things, that self-consciousness, that anxiety, that's not who you are. That's the thing holding who you are back. Personal brands on a mask, it's releasing the sculpture. It's hacking away that everything's getting in the way. Don't be afraid to turn it up to 11 and make it clear who you are and allow people to use you as a proxy for their identity. Make it clear who they who you are so they can make a decision on it. Number three, collaborate. Don't forget the 10 to 100 plan. If you do 10 collaborations, uh, you can from t- you can go from 2,000 followers to 100,000 followers. That's that idea. Is it guaranteed? I don't know, but do it. Give it a shot. You'll definitely be in a better position than you are now. Number four, go deep, not wide. Quit trying to... Uh, be a taste taker and be a taste maker. Be on the 30-year plan. Tap into those 1,000 true fans and then build it up over time. Make a dish that speaks to their taste buds. Don't be afraid to turn a bunch of people off. Number five, have an offering worth over $100. Have a bunch of an ecosystem of offerings. Because if you have 1,000 true fans, you can make it, but only if they have $100 worth of real value that they can pay you for. Don't be a very labor-intense t-shirt commercial. Number six, get into their skin. Reconnaissance mission. Put on the Stormtrooper outfit. Think like they think. How do these early adopters find what you do and reverse engineer that discoverability, reverse engineer that organic meet cute situation? Number seven, siphon off. Not all types of uh, attention are created equal. Yeah, some of them you can monetize, but some of them you can siphon. Where are people's peepers peeping? Number eight, overcompensate. There's something that all of the winners do that you can't do for some reason, and you need to quit ignoring it and double down and overcompensate for it. Maybe you can't live in New York City, but can you travel there? Can you have, can you collaborate with somebody there? What are the ways that you can compensate for the things that are holding you back? And number nine, key objective failures. What is the thing that moves the needle more than anything else? And then go on a marketing sprint, a door-to-door operation to get as many failures as you possibly can. It could change your life. know, there's not much that really grinds my gears or breaks my heart like posthumous fanfare. I see it on Twitter all the time. You know, these 
these uh, artists, these comedians, these musicians will pass away and it'll cause this reaction where all of a sudden their work reaches a whole new audience. And yeah, there are a whole ton of factors. There's all kinds of reasons why that might happen or why that person might pass away. But sometimes I wonder, is it possible that things would have been different? Would they have been able to taste the fruits of their labor and seen their work working on a totally new level if they'd focused on the cup as much as the coffee? Would they have been able to enjoy that relationship with these passionate fans in their lifetime. And I want that for you. I'm reading this uh, biography on Jim Henson. He's one of my all-time creative heroes, maybe my number one creative hero. And I'm so loving this biography. But one thing that a lot of people don't know is that the reason... The Henson Empire exists today. The reason why so many millions of people were touched by Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo and Ernie and Elmo and Bert and all these amazing casts of characters, it might not have happened had Jim's brother Paul not died an early death. You see... Early on in Jim's career, he was already on local TV. He was already doing puppets. He was already doing all kinds of stuff. But those around him say that his brother Paul passing early on was a fuse that got lit under his butt and everything changed for Jim in that moment because he realized that it wasn't just about the coffee. It wasn't just about the essence, but there was a shot clock clock. There was a time ticking that the time was now and that thing lit an energy under this guy that turned him into the Henson that we know and love. And so the same is true for you. You might not have overhead. You might not have a budget that keeps the lights on in a brick and mortar shop, but you have a fixed amount of time on this earth. You have a fixed amount of energy to pour into your side hustle that you don't have an infinite supply. And if this thing doesn't catch on in a timely manner, you might not ever enjoy the creative career success that you've always hoped for. So you can't afford it. You can't afford to wait for this thing to just slowly catch on. You can't afford to merely just have the essence. You can't just be brewing the tastiest cup of coffee. You've got to find the perfect cup, the perfect shop, the perfect strategy to get enough people to taste it. All right, another one in the bag. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Alex Sugg for our soundtrack. We couldn't do it without you people. Thanks to all of you for listening and a special thanks to all of you who support this show on the Patreon. You make it happen. You are one of the key sponsors of this show. You're the producer. You are the foundation of this thing. If you get a lot from this podcast and you're interested in giving a little back, even one to two dollars an episode, you know, eight bucks a month if you can spare that and you want to spare 
if you if you want to support this show, go to patreon.com slash creative pep talk. It's super easy. If you've never backed Patreon, I highly recommend it. Uh, I'm a big believer in supporting the artists that we are true fans of. Um, and uh, go check it out. Really appreciate it. Big shout out to a recent sponsor, Mickey Winter, sponsored the show recently. Thank you, Mickey. And thanks to all of you for checking that out. Go check it out. We're going to, big things are going to happen in that space. I've got a bunch of new ideas on how to maximize that, you know, first priority for Q&A, for the Q&A episodes of this, uh, Patreon meetups, uh, uh, community, and even the peppy talks, the secret pep talks that we have on that. Um, there's gonna, I'm going to make it a lot easier to get access to those in apps that you already use. So I'm looking into all that stuff. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Talk to sponsor the show today. Thanks to all of you for listening, and stay pepped up.